Well, hey, Red Hills family, we're so excited about today. We've got a lot going on. By the way, happy 4th of July. We've got our one family barbecue starting today. I can't think of a better day for it to start than on the 4th of July. Not only that, we're launching our one family series. And every single week in this month, we will come together online and talk about an attribute of family or spiritual family that's important. And today we're going to do something just a little bit different. Last year we started something that we hope to do every year and that is Young Communicators or Young Communicators Sunday. And what that means is that we have asked three people that are kind of new to preaching or developing their preaching gift to come in and share uh, from their heart about an attribute of one family. And today we've got three doing that. And the first one that's going to be up is our worship pastor, Pastor Ash. Best. She is a joy to be around, and I know that you will value and appreciate what she has to say. And she's going to talk about love as an attribute of one family. So let's get ready to hear from Pastor Ashley Best. We are in a series talking about one family, and today I want to focus on the aspect of love, that families love. This looks different for every family. It can be expressed differently, but I want to look specifically at what the Bible says about true, genuine love looks like. I think, unfortunately, in our society, this word love has been a little bit hijacked to mean things like, I can say I love cheesecake in the same breath as I love my mom or Jesus, and it kind of devalues the word a little bit. What does culture say about love? Merriam-Webster's dictionary says, love is strong affection for another arising out of kinship, attraction based on sexual desire, and affection based on admiration, benevolence, or common interests. And so I take away from that definition that, well, love is about me. It's about how I benefit or what I get out of someone else or something else. In scripture, it's the exact opposite. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I think it's important that we not become desensitized to a passage like this. If you've been in the church a long time, it can be easy to see a passage like this that has maybe been over-preached or you see it on an Instagram caption or on a decorative pillow or something in Hobby Lobby and you kind of, your mind kind of becomes numb to it, becomes cliche almost. But it's vital that we pick up on what Paul is saying. And I think to do that, we need to look at the verses prior to verses four through eight. In verse one through three, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbals. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. So based on this, love should be a lifestyle. If we do all the right things, if we're upstanding people, if we make good decisions, but we're not genuinely loving each other according to this 1 Corinthians 13 passage of what love looks like, then it's all pointless. So what does love look like? What does that look like in a practical sense? I want to look at Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And looking at this, I want to point out three specific aspects of love. And we're going to kind of talk, look at this passage and talk through husbands and wives, but this can really apply to any type of relationship. Maybe your relationship with the local church or your relationship among siblings or neighbors or, or, or maybe it is with your significant other. Um, but three aspects of love that really stand out to me from this passage. The first one is love submits. It's important to note here that when Paul instructs wives to submit to their husbands, First off, he doesn't say women submit to men. He says wives submit to husbands. So he's assuming that there's this existing marriage covenant between the two, that they're already in a partnership together. This is not Paul having some 1950s housewife view of the woman in the kitchen with the baby on her hip. Paul's actual instruction is submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. Why do we submit to the Lord? We don't do it out of fear that he's some cruel dictator or that he's lording his power over us, but we look at what Jesus did. He came in humility and gentleness and meekness, and he died on the cross to wipe clean our sin so that we could live in this relationship with him, this partnership with him. So we submit to each other, husband and wife, sibling, whatever the type of relationship is, we submit to one another after the example that Jesus set of submitting and opening up that partnership type relationship. The second thing is love sacrifices. It takes a lot of effort already to kind of lay down your opinions and your preferences and to submit your will, uh, but that can be done kind of discreetly sometimes. I can do that in my head and nobody really has to know about it. But then Paul says, take it a step further sacrifice for each other. To sacrifice, that usually involves some type of external action or change of course. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So where am I getting the word sacrifice? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? For Jesus, it meant coming and dying on the cross to literally die emotionally, physically, spiritually, to die on the cross, to sacrifice himself for us. Now guys, don't, don't freak out. Paul is not saying on your wedding day to plan your funeral, like you don't have to literally die for your wife. But I think sometimes for all of us, when we're, when we're required to sacrifice, it feels like a part of us is dying. That's really, really hard to live in that type of humility and selflessness to sacrifice to where it feels like a piece of us dies. But when we're able to find this balance of submitting to one another and sacrificing for one another, it directly models this love that Christ had for the church. And this is what we're instructed to do and how we're instructed to, to live and to live in relationships with each other. The third thing I see is love seeks and love serves. Love pursues. We, we are to pursue one another. Now, this doesn't mean when I talk about, especially with your significant other, I'm going, I'm going to pursue my fiance. That doesn't just mean I invite him to go to dinner and I paid. Like this is a deeper type of pursuing. This pursuing, seeking him, this means I need to know him genuinely. His likes and his dislikes, his preferences, his dreams and his goals, and maybe his downfalls and his vices. I need to know him deeply and truly to then know how I can serve him. It's not helpful if I assume, well, this is how I would want to be served in this situation, or this is what would be meaningful to me, so I'll just do that for him. That doesn't benefit either one of us. That just assumes that he wants something that maybe I want, and that's not a selfless type of serving. 
But when I get to know him and I find out what he actually values and needs, and then I cater my actions to that, that is a true, genuine love in seeking and pursuing him. I'm actually getting married this summer, um, August 1st, so we're in the home stretch. Uh, my fiance's name is Adam, and, um, and this is something that Adam was really, really good at before we were dating and, and still is good at, but he pursued me in this way. While he was still kind of um, crushing on me and in that friend zone, he sought after me and wanted to get to know who I was, not so that he could gain anything. At that point, he wasn't even sure if we would date or not, but he just took an interest in wanting to make me feel valued and wanting to get to know me. And then he wanted to respond to me in that way of what I cherished and what was important to me. So he asked me lots of questions and he learned what my personality type was and how I make decisions and what my values are. And then he catered to that. This is a way that we still pursue each other. Now, um, dating and being engaged. Um, we pursue each other and we continue to learn about the other and, and their love language and, and what is important to them. Another important part of loving them is me knowing my own vices and laying that down. For example, a top priority for Adam is not just being on time, but being early. If we're going somewhere, he wants to be there plenty of time early. A vice for me is being late and running behind and always has been, I'm working on it, but now especially in the context of this relationship, I know that that is a vice for me. And so if Adam says, we have a commitment, I wanna leave by five o'clock, I'm gonna rein in my vice and be ready to go waiting by the door at 4.45 so that when he picks me up, I'm ready at five because I know that that will be uh, a sign of respect to him, that he will feel loved by me paying attention and, and he knows that that's a vice for me. And so for me to rein that in and to work on that, that is a way that I can love him better and love him more deeply. So love seeks and serves. We serve each other's needs and that goes hand in hand with submitting and sacrificing. As we learn to love in this way, we can better model those characteristics of love that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. We lean into that love and we become more like Jesus, but we also have a better understanding of Jesus's love for us. So what relationships were brought to mind as I was talking? I know we focused a little bit on husbands and wives, but this applies to grandparents, to siblings, to parents and kids, to coworkers and neighbors and employers. It's important that we love each other in this way. Families love. Family units, church families, families in communities, families in workplaces, families love. So are you loving others in this type of genuine serving love? Well, what a great message from Pastor Ashley, and what an encouragement and a challenge to know that we are called to love our family, even in difficult seasons. Well, we have another communicator coming up for you, another, another soon-to-be pastor, and that is Cody Roshak. Cody Roshak is 20 years old, and he's been around Red Hills longer than I have. And one thing that you know about Cody is that he loves this church. We, he is serving all across the board. Sometimes you'll see him operating a camera. Sometimes you'll see him switching uh, production stuff. Sometimes you'll see him leading worship at Red Hills students. He is all across the board here at our church. And he has a call on his life and he has a gift to communicate the scripture. And today uh, he is going to talk to us about the truth that families grow. Families grow. So let's hear from Cody Roshak. Well, good morning, uh, Red Hills Church family. I'm so honored to gather with you guys today and to share a word that's been on my heart um, in our One Family series. And I'm going to talk about spiritual growth. 
So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 through 14 today. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, the, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is like a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. As we live in a culture that is constantly moving at 100 miles per hour, you see, uh, as generations go on, uh, new technology comes out, things are changing, and we're constantly getting faster and faster. We also live in a workaholic culture, a cult culture that says that the more you work, the busier your schedule is, that the healthier uh, your family's gonna be, that the more provided for that they're gonna be. And you see, that's just not what the Bible teaches. You know, in my own life, I've struggled conforming to this aspect of culture as well. I've struggled to say no to things. I've struggled to use that word no, to use that word when I need to, when I need to take a step back and to be filled up again, when I'm drained so low that I'm trying to minister to people and, and share the gospel when I'm empty. So let's break down this scripture again in, in Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 12 because the author has something incredibly important to say about growth and about battling uh, the stagnatism and, and the spiritual disconnect in that. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. What the author is saying here is, is to this Christian community is that from the time that these people were saved to the time that, him, that he is writing this letter, these people should be teachers of the word of God and not somebody who has to, need, uh, has to rely on or need to be taught the word of God instead. And he goes on to fortify this by saying, you need someone again to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You see, we come to church every Sunday and, and, and one of the reasons we come to church is to hear the word of God from our spirit-filled pastors. However, what the, what the author is saying in this is that this Christian community needed and relied on other people to hear the word of God. See, that's where we run into trouble. We should never be in a place where we are reliant or needing of other people to teach us the Word of God. Instead, we should be diving in and embracing the Word of God ourselves every day and letting it transform us. He goes on to finish with verse 13 and 14. He says, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is like a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, the author is saying that like a child, an infant child gets milk from its mother, it doesn't start by eating solid food. You see, a child must grow both physically and emotionally, mentally, and, and everything in order to mature in that. And they have to grow you know, teeth in by the age of one in order to have the ability to eat solid food. You know, in the same way we start out as, as infants in our faith, as, as baby Christians, as people new to the faith, and we have to commit to spiritual growth. We have to make that decision to commit. And the bottom line is this, that you and I will always be in a stagnant place of our faith, in a place where we feel spiritually disconnected if we, if we don't recognize that God not only saved us from something, but that he saved us for something. You see, God saved us for something, and he wants us to live and to grow and to mature into this something. And by saving you and I from our sins, God has graciously invited us to join him, to live on mission with him, to be a disciple of him, and to live in eternity with him. What I'm saying here is that, that salvation is not the end, guys. It's the beginning. 
It's the beginning of a beautiful relationship with Christ, a life as a child of God, living into the calling that he has on your life, so unique and divine and planned out. And I want you guys to be equipped and prepared to, to combat these seasons of stagnatism and, and spiritual disconnect in your life. So I want to leave you with one application, one practical thing to remember and to use in order to, to combat those seasons. And it's this, it's to be committed to your church family. You see, when you're committed to your church family, you're, you're also committed to studying the word of God. You're committed to prayer, to tithing, to serving. You're committed to all these things when you're committed to your church family. And I wanna ask you today, are you in a place where you're stagnant in your faith? Are you in a place where you feel spiritually disconnected? And I wanna tell you that you're not alone. So many of us have felt that and so many of us have had friends and family and, and loved ones close to us have felt that same way. And that I wanna, I wanna tell you that you're not alone. You're never alone in that. I wanna encourage you to commit to spiritual growth by committing to your church family. At Red Hills, we have multiple ways you can do that through dream teams, through tribes, through, through serving, all of that. And I want you to remember, family, that, that, that church is not a building, it's a people. We don't, we don't want for you to just step in the building on Sunday mornings. We want you to step into a tribe, to step into a dream team, to get connected and grow and mature in your faith. You see, Red Hills is a family, and we're one family. What a great word from Cody. I appreciate uh, his openness and his vulnerability to share that there are some times that he has to slow down and cut things out of his life when he's, when he's too busy so that he can focus on the right things and focus on growing in his relationship with Jesus. What a great message. Well, the next person that we have and the last person, she's last, but she is definitely not least. That is our communications director, Kate Swanson. Now, if you watch online, you see her all the time and she even hosts some in person here at the Third Street location. And she has um, just a sweet spirit about her and having her on staff has been such a joy. She helps us uh, get all of the details lined out. She has uh, made so many things things uh, around the one family July month uh, happen. And so she's got a word for you on unity. She's going to talk about the importance of family and unity. So let's get ready to hear from Kate Swanson. Hey, church family. It is a joy to be with you today and speaking and sharing with you. I got to start off by saying I love my church family. Let me say it again. I love my church family. I have called this place my church home for over 10 years now. My husband, Tony, and I got engaged in January of 2011, and this was the first place we came to, and we knew right away that this was home. My nine-year-old son, Noah, has known Teacher Kim his entire life, and you might have watched last summer as my belly grew outwards a little bit, and we welcomed our baby girl, Olivia, in September. And this family has become my family. We have grown up here and watched our kids grow up. And now I get the joy of serving you as communications director here and seeing many of you on Sunday mornings or online in the chat, and it is such a joy. So if we haven't talked one-on-one -on -one or gotten to connect, I actually grew up in Boise, Idaho to a single mom and I was her only child. And when I grew up there, my church family was my family. We didn't have any extended family that 
lived nearby, so people from my church took me camping and took me fishing and helped me build a Pinewood Derby car. And if you grew up in church, you know this was serious competition. And so these were the memories that I had growing up of these people who not only poured into my life, but pointed me towards Jesus. They taught me skills, but they also taught me about how to walk out in my faith, how to be able to follow Jesus and study God's word. And these skills, these life lessons, especially for my faith, have been with me ever since. And when I think about this picture, these memories that I have, these wonderful times that I got to spend with them growing up, I really think about discipleship. I think about how these people discipled me, how they took what they knew and passed it on. And this creates unity. This creates family unity within our church. And I want to share with you about that today. So let's look at scripture. Psalm 133.1 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And Paul shares in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So how do we live out this kind of unity? How are we able to bring this good and pleasant thing together? And how are we able to live in humility and gentleness? There are three things I wanted to share with you today. The first one is this, stay connected. We are just coming out of a season where we've basically said no to everything. We've been isolated and we've been at home. And this is a time where I encourage you, let's stay connected together. What is it like when you get a phone call from a friend you haven't spoken to in a long time? This is what our church family can be when we take steps towards connection, where we're able to go from saying hi on a Sunday morning to texting and calling and meeting up for coffee or going to a park together. These are ways that we can get connected. In Romans 12.10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And I love this when we outdo each other in showing honor. This is how we connect. We encourage one another. We spur one another on. We celebrate the joys together. And we're able to show respect and love one another. The second point is this, share with one another. We live in a community where we say it's okay to not be okay. And we, it is so easy on a Sunday morning to be at the surface level. We say, hi, I'm fine, everything's good. But when we create unity within our church, we are able to sh truly share with one another. We ask and we share. In 1 Peter 3, 8, it says, finally, all of you having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This scripture describes authentic community when we're able to share with one another. We're able to have sympathy for those that are going through hard times. We are able to have a tender heart and listen and truly care for one another. This is how we are able to share and walk in our lives through the joys and sorrows that we have. The third point is this, show up. 
our church has grown significantly over the last couple of years. And it is so good when we are able to show up for one another. I've seen this not only as a church family member, but as a staff member. I've had some of my tribes members, we've grown spiritually together, and they've also lifted really heavy furniture up my stairs. They have um, shown up in so many different ways. This church family provided meals for us after we had our baby and we just needed some extra help and they just dropped off meals at our doorstep. These are ways that we're able to show up as a family unit and unite together. Many of you might be serving at our barbecue today. These are ways that we serve one another and we show up to let others know how much Jesus loves them. He's been our perfect example throughout these scriptures. Our families grow through these moments, through this discipleship, through these interactions that we have together. We're not meant to live alone. We're meant to show up for one another. So church family, I think this is a pivotal time in our church history. I think we have this wonderful growth and we're coming back together. And I encourage you, if you're new, get connected. We'll have our tribes again in the fall, but our barbecues today are a perfect way to connect with your church family. If you've been here a while, reach out, connect with others that might not be in your direct circle and be able to grow in our family together and bring unity among us. This is how we can be a united church family. We can grow in love, we can learn and walk with Jesus, and we are able to embrace each other, show up, and be able to walk together. What a great word from Kate Swanson on unity and how we need to be connected together. And we can be connected today uh, by doing just what we, we know is coming up next, and that is the barbecues. So grab your lawn chairs, grab a blanket, and let's get ready uh, to celebrate the 4th of July together as one family.